God, we thank you so much uh, for your mercy. We thank you for uh, your grace, which restores us and renews us. We thank you for the work of the Spirit, which comes and enlivens us. And we pray, uh, Father, that your Spirit would be amongst us today. Lord, uh, tune up our brains after a long night and then... Uh, an early morning start on a Saturday after work, Lord, it's hard to pay attention. So, God, uh, tune up our brains, open up our ears that we might hear uh, your truth, that we might assent to the truth. And then, Lord, uh, Holy Spirit, do work in the ground of our hearts that we might uh, grow and uh, be conformed more and more into the, into the shape of your Son and the image of your Son. Uh, Lord, we pray... Um, for these things as well as, God, we pray that you would forgive our sins for Christ's sake. And in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Joel. Um, just as a disclaimer really quickly, I think I got sick last night, <laughs> like a cold. So don't touch me. That's number one, unless you want to get a cold. And then if I'm like sniffling, please excuse it. I'm sorry. That's so annoying. I have a thing with noises. Does anybody else have this? Yeah. Oh. So, like, if my kids chew near me, I mean, it's involuntary, but I slap them across the face. Like, I can't control my, I, it's a bad thing. So, when I hear speakers get up and they're, like, sniffing or coughing, I'm like, ah, you should have stayed home. You're so annoying. And here I am. Um, so, please excuse that if that happens. I'm going to try my hardest because I'm so sensitive to it myself. Um, this morning, what we want to do, what I want to do is just give you guys some practical help. How do we have these conversations with our kids? Um, this, is, this next hour will be focused more on just helping you guys to be able to think through this. What we wanted to do last night is give you a biblical framework for how to think about sex and sexuality from the Bible. And then today, I want to talk to you about how that's really going to work out practically in your parenting. Um, so let's do this. I was going to say let's get into this, and then I was like, that's probably not a good thing to say when you're doing a sex talk, so I'm not going to. Anyway, okay. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I'm going to try real hard. <laughs> the gospel in sex. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, how this starts out right here, this, this verse in Romans, is I appeal to you by what? By the mercies of God. It's not, I appeal to you because this is going to be like, you're going to have the best life ever, and then once you get married, you're going to have the best sex ever because you waited, right? That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I appeal to you by the mercies of God, because of what he's done for you, because of what he's already done for you, here's your spiritual act of worship. You guys know that, right? Like, the only, our only motivation for right living is what he's done for us. What he's done for us should change what we do. That's what this verse is saying. So because of the mercies of God, offer your body as a sacrifice to him, right? It's not the other way around. It's not because you're going to be like an amazing, pure person, God's going to give you mercy, 
That's not how that works. It's the other way around. He's given you mercy. So because of that, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. See, Jesus, what he's done for us, what God has done for us through the work and person of Jesus Christ is our only motivation for right living. It should be. It should be our only motivation for right living. See, sex is not a problem to be solved. (laughs) And I think, I fear that the way we talk to our kids about sex says the exact opposite. Like the only time we talk to our kids about sex is when they've screwed up, most of the time. Like you have the initial talk, right? And you're like, oh, totally did that. And then it's over. And then the only time it comes back up again is when they've done something wrong. But sex is not a problem to be solved. It's actually a good gift. It was not given as a curse. It was given as a beautiful gift from God to us. So we need to make sure that we're not only talking to them when something has gone wrong or we think something's off in their lives sexually. We need to be talking to them all the time about it. Don't have the idea in your head that sex is just a problem to be solved. See, that's, that's satanic. That's his message. Our message is, no, sex is a good gift from God that we must steward well. There's a huge difference in the way you go about that conversation. Deuteronomy 6, 7 says this, teach them diligently to your children all the laws and the rules and talk of them when you sit in your house. See, we need to build our children's souls through normal conversations with them about sex. Like, again, this cannot just be this one time, here's a chart, and here's stick figures with, that look funny, and then, you know, as soon as you're done, you're so embarrassed, you tear up the pictures and throw them away. It's not like this one-time conversation you have with them. And let me just say this, too. Um, I was at a conference last week, and people were looking at the book, and Majority of these people came up and were like, oh, my kid's like 11 or 12. I probably should start thinking about this. I'm like, ah, you really should already be thinking about it. And like Joel was talking about last night, you know, kids are seeing pornography at a younger and younger and younger age. By the time, this was a survey that was done probably five years ago, but by the time kids or boys are 18, 95% of them have viewed pornography. I had a friend say, and the other 5% lied. So, but by the time girls are 18, again, five years ago, 65% of them had viewed pornography, girls. So you think a lot of times we think, and we shouldn't, but we think, oh, girls, that's not a problem for girls. No, it is, and it's becoming increasingly more so. So we can't, we can't be... We can't just be relaxed about this. This has to be a proactive conversation. And again, it can't just be this sort of negative, don't do it. We need to build their souls with the beauty of what it is and the beauty of the gift that it is. And it needs to be an ongoing conversation. And let me say this too, like, if you think that your kids, you can homeschool your kids, you can build, you know, like, M. Night Shyamalan, how do you say that? his movie (laughs) uh, that's, you know, they all live in this perfect neighborhood and everybody's, you know, building all their own houses and baking all their own bread. And it's like no evil. They don't let any evil in this neighborhood. And plot twist, 
and I'm going to spoiler alert at the same time, the whole thing is the evil's already in the neighborhood. Okay? So when we think, oh, we're just going to protect our family and insulate us from all these outside influences, plot twist, you're born with the evil inside of you. Your kids are too. So we need to be talking to them, not like, oh, just don't be like them out there. It's like, no, you're already broken. Let me talk to you about the beauty of this gift, and let me talk to you about the beauty of a redeemer. That's what our goal is. So soul building through normal conversations with them. In Psalm 51, it says this, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. I mean, you know David. If we're going to, so often people hold up David as like some hero of the Bible. And okay, yes, but I mean, the dude was sexually broken in a very real way. And I'm just going to say, I mean, he used power to force Bathsheba to have sex with him. Call that what you want. I think it's rape. He forced her, and yet the Bible holds him up and says he's a man after God's own heart. How? How does that happen? Well, this right here, be gracious to me, (laughs) oh God, according to your loving kindness. See, David begs for God's mercy. And what does God do with him? Forgives him loves him. Yes, there are real consequences for what he did. Yes. But what does God do? Welcomes him, loves him. See, how do we respond when our kids confess sexual sin or are caught, which is probably more likely what's going to happen, or are caught in a sexual sin? How do you respond? I think a lot of times parents, and I'm going to just put myself right in this category with you guys, We respond out of fear. Like, oh no, what's going to happen now? And their whole life is ruined and on and on. We respond out of anger. We're embarrassed. We think it's a reflection on on you, on me. So if my kid comes to me and says, I'm addicted to pornography, automatically I'm like, what did I do wrong? I'm a horrible parent. Or I look down on them and I'm like, I've told you. Or let's just say like you grew up in the church or you grew up and you didn't ever look at pornography and you were, you know, sexually pure till you got married and then your kid screws up. And you're like, how could you? I worked so hard. I never did any of that. It was hard for me too. What's your problem? I did it. And by the way, we don't just do that in the area of sex with our kids. We do it all over. You know, I'm working so hard at being a good mom. I'm working hard at providing a good environment for you. And look at what you've done. Like, we take all of their sins so personally. And God really should take it personally because it really is against him. And what does he do? You're forgiven. You're loved. If they have faith, if they believe. See, what's our primary goal in our parenting and in talking about having these conversations with our kids, is our primary goal that they would never have sex until they got married? Like, that's, that's the benchmark we hit it. Or is our primary goal, goal that they would fall in love with Jesus? What is your primary goal? That they would know Christ? That they would trust him for their goodness? That they would trust in him for salvation? 
Or is it just that, you know, they don't get an STD? Or that, you know, they never look at pornography? What is your goal in parenting? What is your primary goal? Obviously, and hear me, obviously our hope is that those things don't happen because we know what the Bible says and it says it's a good gift to be enjoyed in marriage. But if that's our only goal, they're going to know it. Like if Christianity to you is you're just moral and that's it, how is that good news for our kids? There was a study done uh, called the, the Study of Youth and Religion in America. And they went out and they interviewed kids that had self-identified as Christians. And they asked them, what does Christianity mean to you? These are college-age kids who say, I'm a Christian. And they came away with three words for this study. Moralistic, therapeutic, deism. That's how kids are defining Christianity. So be good, you're going to feel good about yourself, and God's going to give you good things. That's not Christianity. No wonder so many kids are leaving the faith. The best statistic is that 60% of kids who grow up in the church leave the faith. Six, zero. And what we believe is that they're not even hearing the gospel message. They're not even hearing what the Bible says about sex. What they're hearing is a list of rules. And it's actually so much more. The Bible doesn't say, do good so you can feel good about yourself and God's going to give you good things. The Bible says you're not good enough, but because of the goodness of your father, he's placed his goodness over your life and you're now accepted and welcomed and forgiven. That's the gospel message. That's the in view of the mercies of God. Then present yourself to him as an act of worship. See, the gospel is the point, not sexual purity. Now, Yes, I said it. (laughs) But let's really think about this. When we tell our kids, hey, remain pure, that's starting with this basic understanding, presupposition that they are pure now. No one's born pure, right? You guys believe that, right? Everyone has sinned. No one is born pure. Maybe in our sexuality we haven't experienced certain things, but that doesn't mean we aren't born bent in on ourselves, wanting to please ourselves. So when we say to our kids, you know, stay pure, what, what does that mean for kids who have been abused? Well, their purity's taken away and it's just over? And, and what does that tell kids who actually don't have sex until they're married and then they're all self-righteous about it? Does that mean they're pure? Right, you need to think about these, the way that we use these words and what they're saying. Romans 11, which comes right before that verse in view of God's mercy, talks about the beauty of salvation and God's work. Then it goes into Romans 12, which is in view of all of that, in view of everything he's done for you, then present your body. See, what's our starting point? Our starting point is always the gospel. It's always what he's already done for you. Our motivation should always be Christ's work. Paul never said, you know, I am the foremost righteous person. (laughs) That's not what he said. He said, I'm the foremost sinner, and I'm in desperate need of God's mercy. And that should be our starting point with our kids. Purity isn't like this one-time thing, and then once you have sex or you view porn or whatever, it's gone. No, God has a regenerating work in your life. You're a new creation. 
That's what he says about you. That's what he says about your kids. So the gospel is the point, not sexual purity. And then again, if anyone is caught in a transgression, restore him. I love this. Parents hear this. (laughs) Restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Wow. I mean... You can talk to my kids, and they'd be like, you for sure don't do that. (laughs) And I want to be very clear, as we stand up here today, as I stand up here, I'm not saying to you guys, I have done all this, and I'm amazing, and you guys should just be just like me. It would be like Princess Bride when she's walking out, and they're like, liar, queen of refuse, screaming at her, throwing stuff. If my kids were here, that's what they do. It's actually, I talk about this in the book, but when I was, at one point I was writing the book and my my son who's 20, I have a 20-year-old son, an 18-year-old son, and a 15-year-old daughter. I know I don't look that old, tell me. Um, Just joking. Uh, My 20-year-old was sitting next to me and he's like, what are you writing about? And I told him and he's like, you guys really failed at this. And I was like, you shut your mouth, young man. I am still your mother. I, I agreed with him. We really did fail at this. I mean, I really thought we were just, you know, we, at that point when we should have been having the conversation, we homeschool, were homeschooling, and I was like, yeah, it's fine. But we really did fail, and then we sent him to public school, and they got an education real quick. And he told me, he's like, well, I, you guys failed at this. So when I say to you, restore him in the spirit of gentleness, when your kids are caught in a transgression, restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Like, I need that too. <laughs> I need to be able to do that. But the beautiful thing is, when I don't, I can go and ask them, ask them for forgiveness, fully aware that I'm a sinner in need of grace, and they are too. And I love this too, this caught in any transgression. So often we're like, if you would have just confessed, I would have been nicer to you. Well, that's not what this says. It's as if anyone's caught in a transgression, restore him. See, the point of discipline is not to punish and push someone out. The point of any sort of discipline is restorative and to pull them close, to remind them of relationship. That's how God is with us. Any discipline in our life is, is not meant to push us out and keep us at arm's length, but rather to pull us in close. That's the kind of father he is to us. I know as a mom so often I will discipline my children for something. I mean, they're so old at this point. Like they don't listen to anything I say. Buy my books. Just joking. (laughs) (laughs) But when I discipline them and then it's like, okay, it's over, so often I want to continue punishing them with my silence or my coldness just so they're really sure they did something wrong. Nobody in here is like that? Okay. But the point of this is, no, no, no. Restore them. Pull them back in close. Remind them of who they are, that they're your son or your daughter. So then you might be asking yourself, okay, so what? Do I just forgive them and there's no rules? And everybody just go look at porn because Jesus forgives sinners? And everybody go have sex with whoever because... 
We have a Savior who welcomes us. No, that's not what I'm saying. Please don't hear that. That's not what we're saying. We do believe you should give your kids rules. We do believe you should give your kids law. But why do we give our kids the law? Well, first, we we give our kids rules. We give our kids the law because it's a mirror. They need to see that they're sinners. They need to see, oh, this is God's holy standard and this is where I am? Well, that's brutal, right? They need to know that. Another reason we give kids the law is it restrains evil. So if you were just like, hey, go out and have sex with whoever, and yeah, it's fine, and look at porn, like, think the sex trafficking would be even worse than it was. So it's good to give rules, okay? It's good to give them societal norms so that, tell them what's right and what's good so that it restrains evil. That's a good thing. Give them the law. Another reason it's good to give them a law is it's a guide for us. So we can say to them, hey, look, because you say that you're a Christian, if they do, here's the right way to live. The giving of the law is meant to crush our self-confidence and to drive us to Christ. It really is to show us you don't measure up, you need Jesus. And I think we think that the law is meant to save our kids, and it's not. The law cannot save our kids. Sexual purity cannot save your kids. Their good works done outside of Christ are nothing. <laughs> but in Christ, they're God-honoring. You could have the most, and, and you, it, this, this person exists, like a person who's celibate, who's chaste, but does not love God at all, relies on their own good works, and they are not saved. And I think in in Christian circles so often we're just like, ah, the end all is that they're sexually pure. And you could have a kid who's completely sexually pure but doesn't love God. Sexual purity is not the point. Thinking that your kid is somehow better because they have saved themselves for marriage They're not. Because, you know, quite honestly, God, Jesus, came really, came down really hard on those who thought they were better than everybody else, the ones who kept all the laws. And and all those prostitutes and the people that were like, you should never be like that person. He was like, welcome in. And they're like, yes, thank you. I know my need. But then you have the one who stands up and is like, thank God I'm not like that person. Right? You know those verses? Well, the Bible says that the one who was just like, have mercy on me, a sinner, that one, that guy went away justified before the Lord. See, there is hope in the darkness. It is, it is, it will go well with them. It is better Uh, There's less consequences if you are not engaged in sexual activity before you're married, right? They're just speaking plainly like, oh, as far as consequences go, as far as how your life goes, it's going to be better for you, generally speaking, if you don't engage in sexual activity, right? We believe that. But that's not the point, (laughs) So we're not saying to you, tell your kids, just be involved in sexual activity, it's fine. No, there are consequences. But what we need to remind our kids is that they're always welcomed home. And there is hope in the darkness. Mark 2, 17, what does Jesus say? I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. 
Jesus was, and Joel said this last night, Jesus was a friend of sinners. And I love that he put all those crazy rated X stories in the Bible. Like if they were made into a movie, Christians would boycott them, right? (laughs) And he's like, these people are in my lineage. These are the people I'm highlighting so that you know that there's no situation that is beyond hope. So that you know that I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus loves those that are broken and see their need. You know, there's the, the, the lyric that says, though our sin runs deep, your grace is more. Is that the heartbeat of your parenting for your kids? Do they hear that from you? Or do they think like, would they describe Jesus as a friend of sinners? Or if you say, hey, how... How do you think, who do you think Jesus hangs out with? Would they be like, sinners? I mean, that's all there is. Or would they be like, oh, the people who try their best and do good? That's a good question to ask your kids. See, Jesus was a friend of sinners, and the Pharisees hated that, right? Hated it. It was like their biggest insult to him. Look at him. He hangs out with drunkards and prostitutes. He's a friend of sinners, Jesus is like, right, exactly. Hebrews 10, 9 through 12 says this, Since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with, true, with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So this is a message of forgiveness is not just for your kids, it's for you too. This message that your, your body has been washed and is clean because of Christ's work is not just for your kids, but for you. See, regret and missed opportunity They're like the cornerstones of my parenting. (laughs) When I look back on all these years, it's like, I wish I would have done that. Oh, I missed it there. Ah, that was real bad. (laughs) And people ask me to come out to their church. I don't, that's sad for them. See, I regret the conversations I didn't have. I regret the conversations I did have. (laughs) And yet, and yet, we're forgiven, and we're loved. See, what is our hope? It's by grace that you've been saved through faith. Our hope is not that I have the perfect conversation. My hope is not that I have the perfect conversation about sex with my kids. That's, I mean, that's, that's pretty much passed for me. That ship has sailed. <laughs> my hope is not in my ability to communicate just right My hope rests on a God who saves sinners. So does yours. My hope rests on a God who reconciles enemies to himself. So does yours. My hope rests on a God who lavishes mercy on the undeserving. See, our hope rests on a God who is able to save to the uttermost. There is no one beyond the reach of his grace. That's our hope in parenting. See, salvation belongs to the Lord alone. It's his work. 
How many of you here were, uh, grew up in a non-Christian home? Raise your hand. Okay. So you look around and you see about half. That's typical. Why do we think it all depends on us? See, God will use whatever means he will use to save and regenerate his kids. It doesn't all rest on you. Salvation belongs to him. Our hope is in a God who can and does use any means necessary to make a family out of rebels. See, your child's salvation does not rest on your ability to communicate about sex perfectly or about the gospel perfectly or about any conversation in some sort of clear and winning way. It rests on a good heavenly father who rejoices in making his name great. So what should that say to you? Don't give up. Don't give up. Have the conversation again. Do it again. And remember that it doesn't all rest on you. So many, I would assume dads, I will say moms, because I have talked to so many, so many moms walk around with this weight on their shoulders. It's just, ah, my kids have to get saved and that's up to me. Listen, it's not. You're not strong enough to bear that weight. You cannot. You can't save your kids. But you do have a good father who loves to take cases and kids and people and change them into his beloved sons and daughters. So what about your own sexual brokenness? And everyone in this room is sexually broken, okay? No one in this room is pure. No one in this room has done it just right. No one. So what about our own sexual brokenness? Let me read you these verses. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and a God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. See, God brings comfort to you in the midst of your sexual brokenness so that you can bring comfort to your kids in the midst of theirs. We have a God who heals, who forgives, who sees what's been done to you or even what you've done to others and yet sympathizes and calls himself the father of all mercies and the God of all comfort. That's who you serve. So you aren't defined by your past. You aren't defined by the things you looked at on your computer, looked at in person. The things that you've done. If you let that define you, you will be enslaved to it. And you will go back and back and back and back. That's just who I am. And the only way I feel comfort is to jump back in that. But if you define yourself as one who's been forgiven and loved by a God who sees it all and yet calls you his own anyway, you'll run to him. You don't have to be afraid of God. He calls you close. And then we share that message with our kids. See, the pressure is off for you. The Holy Spirit is good at his job. It's pretty cool that way. He's powerful. 
And it's his job to convict your kids, your kids of their sin or your spouse. I'm not saying don't ever tell them. I'm just saying the job to change their hearts isn't yours. It's his. See, so often I would get angry at these types of conversations when my kids would want to talk to me about sex or have a question. Or my immediate reaction is anger. I don't know. That's just me. And I'm like, ah, I'm mad at my parents for not telling me the right thing. I'm mad at myself for not studying more. I'm mad at them for interrupting Netflix. You know, all of it. That's my immediate reaction, but the good news is it's not all up to me. The pressure is off. So if they ask me a question or they come to me with something, I can be like, you know what? I'm not, e- I'm not even sure about that. Let me, let me read and pray and get back to you. Instead of like, ah, mind your own, but get always, yeah, you're always interrupting me. You know, that was how I was. Everybody's looking at me like I'm crazy. It's fine. So often I feel ill-equipped and then I get angry or I feel exposed that I don't know enough and I get angry. But the pressure's off because we have the Holy Spirit. Our help is, is him. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, this verse is not some sort of battle cry, I'm so strong. This verse is an admittance of weakness. It's like, oh, I'm lost without him. And that's how we are in our parenting. We have a helper. We have Jesus who left. When he left, he's like, guess what? Somebody better is going to be here for you. The Holy Spirit will help you. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. See what kind of love. See, we have this bigger family, not just our own small, you know, immediate family. We have this bigger family. I remember times where my daughter would you know, talk to a friend instead of me, like one of my friends, instead of me. And at first, I remember this very distinctly. She was having trouble adjusting to middle school, and she was over at a girlfriend's house, and the mom was there. The girlfriend, her friend was talking, and then they started talking to the mom, and the mom heard all of this stuff from my daughter that I had not heard. And at first, I was like, how dare you? I write books on parenting. No. (laughs) Well, yes, but no. But then as I sat and thought about it, I was like, oh, no, 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 this is beautiful. This is a beautiful picture of what our family should look like. And you should give your kids that open door. If you don't feel comfortable talking to me, I get that. I mean, I'm 43 and I don't want to talk to my mom sometimes. So open it up. Let them know we have a bigger family. You can talk to other people. It's a good thing. And so for those of you who feel like you don't even talk to your kids, that they don't want to talk to you at all, that you have a difficult relationship, guys, I'm so sorry about all these typos. (laughs) For those of you who have that difficult relationship, remember that his grace is sufficient for you. See, feeling weak in our parenting is actually a good thing. It reminds us and pushes us to trust in something outside of ourselves. And we think like, ah, if you're just a strong parent and you have everything together, that's the best thing. And it's like, no. If you're a weak parent and you know your weakness, you know your limitations, you know you need Jesus, you're pushed outside of yourself, that's a good thing. 
Because that's when you find the mercy and grace of God to help you. See, the, the Bible says that the God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We have good news, you guys. We have good news to give to our kids. And I know a lot of you might even have teenagers who don't talk to you, who aren't at home, who have told you they hate you. And if you aren't there yet, hold on. Listen, his grace is sufficient. The gospel's enough for you and for them. See, there's only one that was ever sexually pure. Jesus perfectly kept the law on our behalf so that before God we stand righteous, holy, free from condemnation. Think about that. Think about that. You are wholly free from condemnation. Do your kids know that too? Or are you always like, ah, remember that one time you did that? If they believe, if they're regenerate, they are also wholly free from condemnation. See, what can the rules do for us? See, sex is more than a list of do's and don'ts. It has to be. Sex has to be more than a list of do's and don'ts. See, what do the rules do for us? You know, in, in Romans 7, you have Paul talking about those, in those verses where he's like, yeah, the Bible tells me not to covet, and then I do the very thing it tells me not to do, and I'm aware of all this covetousness in my life. Just telling your kids don't have sex isn't the answer. Matthew Henry says about Paul talking in Romans 7, ever since Adam ate the forbidden fruit, we have all been, we have all been fond of forbidden paths. yes. The diseased appetite is carried out most strongly towards that which is hurtful and prohibited. I mean, we long after that stuff. And what we need to hear is that the rules don't change us. We have to put our hope in something better than the rules. If the rules saved, it would have been Ten Commandments, Bible over. The rules don't save you. You can't follow the rules. Our kids can't do it. You can't do it. Only Jesus did it. So stop expecting your kids to be Jesus. When they sin, you're not like, ah, how could you? I can't believe you. Of course they could. They came from you. (laughs) You know? I mean, let's be honest with ourselves. That sort of self-righteousness that comes out of us when we're parenting, how could you? Are you kidding me? Look at your own life. (laughs) Of course they could. Jesus had to die for them, for you. See, I think we think, oh, if I just build fences and add burdens, like, I'm just going to, I'm going to, not only can you, like, we start with, oh, don't have sex before you're married. And then we're like, hey, don't be around another person that's of the opposite or same sex before you're married. Okay, well, never even talk to him on the phone because you might have phone sex. And you know, like we keep building, 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 building fences. Look, here's a shocker. You can be alone and have sex. So, you know, you can't build enough fences. There's not enough fences to be built. Something has to be changed in your heart. That's what we're looking for. We want something more than just rule-keeping. We need something deeper than rule-keeping. 
We are singularly helpless without someone crashing into our lives and saving us from the outside. We cannot save ourselves. You cannot save your kids. Your kids cannot save themselves. You have to believe this. We need Jesus. We need a changed heart. How does that changed heart come? Well, we love because he first loved us. That's the message to your kids. Not God loves you if you're sexually pure. He loves you first. And that changes our hearts. It should change our hearts. See, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. His love, relationship with him, forgiveness of sins, it's better. A friend of ours, Lyd Edrington, who works for Rooted Ministries, which is a great, a great organization, says this, love is so much more powerful than fear, and way too often, fear becomes the prime motivator for saving sex until marriage. Like, we set up all these things. Okay, you're going to get an STD. It's going to ruin you for life. You're going to get someone pregnant. You're going to have a baby when you're young. Your whole life's ruined. You're going to have to take care of that kid. On and on the list goes. We use fear. God won't love you. God's going to be disappointed in you. I'm disappointed in you. Fear is not our motivation. Love is and should be the prime motivator for saving sex until marriage, letting them know that Jesus Christ was tempted in every way as they are and yet without sin. You ever think about what that verse means? I mean, it really says every way. Jesus was tempted in every way as we are and yet without sin. See, Jesus was saving himself. For what Joel talked about last night, this marriage that we're gonna that we're gonna be experiencing all through heaven. Jesus is saving himself for you. He wants to give himself to you wholly now, yes, but one day fully. Love should be our prime motivator. So, what do we do? If sex is more than a list of do's and don'ts, what should we do? Breathe. It's not all up to you. You know, we just think how my kid turns out is a reflection of me. It's my righteousness. It becomes our righteousness. It becomes our okayness. It's not all up to you. Enjoy your kids. Like we talked about that whole sin sniffing versus being a grace detective. Enjoy your kids. They're little sinners made in the image of you, right? So enjoy them. Stop always looking and trying to figure them out and trying to tweak them and make them just right. You can't do it. You're not the Holy Spirit. Step into the awkwardness. It's going to be awkward, okay? They're not going to love it. I can tell you when I, I sat my, my middle son down, he was probably like 15 or 16. I'm like, okay, let's do this pornography talk. <laughs> you know, he wasn't like, great, mom. That's going to be amazing. Like, shut down. He's like looking down. He won't even make eye contact with me, which of course made me want to use even more gross words to him. Just push the envelope. Listen, step into the awkwardness. Tell him, hey, this is weird for me too, but I love you too much to let this stop. That stop me. I love you too much to let awkwardness stop me. And then rejoice in Jesus together. Talk to them about how Jesus loves sinners and he forgives, and he welcomes, 
and then talk to them about how he's better. He's better. He's better than great sex. He's better than mediocre sex. <laughs> he's better than it all. He's better, and, for, for, and maybe it's like, oh, sex is never good for you. That could very well, Joel talked about this last night. Physically or emotionally, sex could be something that is never good for you. Ever. That is a real thing. <laughs> then you remember that even in the middle of that, his love for you is better. He will sustain you. He comforts you. He carries you. His grace is sufficient for you. So talk to your kids about that. So moms, rejoice in his forgiveness over your life. Share that goodness with your kids. Don't feel like this is all up to you. Don't feel like you have to get it just right. Am I doing something? Yes, you're doing good. No. <laughs> Don't feel like you have to have it all just right. Listen, the Holy Spirit delights in taking your broken, jacked-up methods and turning them around. So rejoice. Smile. Share that happiness. Share that joy with your kids. Don't think it's all up to you. Don't think it's all up to your husband. Maybe you're a single mom. He's, grace is sufficient for you. Maybe you're a woman who's married to a husband who doesn't do what he should. His grace is sufficient for you. So rest there. Rejoice there. For dads, um, this is one of these things that uh, it's really helpful for us to think through. Um, one thing that I want to I wanna do is I want to kind of help you understand where your place is in this. Um, number one, uh, this is not just a one-time conversation. Uh, the question always gets asked, when do I start talking to my kids about sex? Um, when do I have the talk? Um, let me tell you, if it's one talk, it's going to be awkward. And more than likely, uh, your kid is going to shut down. And this needs to not just be one talk. This needs to be a series of talks, a series of conversations. Um, and I think even saying it's a series of talks uh, is the wrong way to put it. I think this is a series of conversations that you have with your kids. Um, this series of conversations for my kids started young. Uh, my kids go to a public school. And they're exposed to a lot of things at a very young age. And so our conversations started young. And they started really awkwardly. And now we've kind of grown into this relationship where we can have uh, conversations that are weird and are awkward. And we talk about all sorts of crazy stuff. And yet, um, and yet there's an openness there because they know they can ask me questions. Um, and I'm going to answer them honestly whether I know the answer or not. When I don't know the answer, I'll say, I just don't know. Let me study it. And then I go away and I study and I come back. You see, dads, in that place, you show them what a weakness, what, a, what frailty looks like. Um, you show them the reality that life isn't just, uh, God doesn't just talk to us once. 
Um, God talks to us over and over and over again. He does it through his word and through his preached word every week. And so in that way, you actually are modeling the work of your father, your good father, your true father uh, for your kids. Second thing, um, and I'll tell this one through a story. Uh, I had a guy in my congregation, and he's, he and his wife have given me permission to share this story. Um, they had been married for two or three years. Uh, when uh, his wife married him, she knew he was addicted to pornography, um, but she loved him anyways, and she married him. Uh, three years into their marriage, she got pregnant, uh, as usually happens right around that time. And, um, and uh, her husband uh, went and did some things that he shouldn't have done. Um, and she found out about it uh, by looking through his cell phone. And so uh, one Sunday, I, was, uh, I pronounced absolution on the congregation. And then uh, he came up to me just bawling, um, just bawling. And um, said he'd never heard about the forgiveness of his sins. Uh, this is kind of maybe his third time at our church. Um, and he and I then developed a deep relationship where I started to walk through this mess with he and his wife. Um, and he was the kind of guy who would wake up in the morning and look at pornography, uh, go to work, look at pornography, uh, take his lunch break, look at pornography, uh, in the afternoon, look at pornography, look at pornography before dinner, look at pornography after dinner, look at pornography before he went to bed. Um, this man was deeply deeply addicted to pornography. Um, we started with counseling, and um, I can remember distinctly the first day that he went uh, six hours without looking at pornography. Um, it was, it was a, an immense work of the Holy Spirit in this man's life. Um, frankly, I didn't do anything. <laughs> Um, I was just kind of there as a witness uh, to God's mercy in this guy's life and the work of the Spirit. And I can remember uh, praying with him actually the first day that he went an entire day without looking at pornography. And the prayer looked something like this. It was, I can't remember it uh, word by word, but it was kind of like, God, uh, thank you. Thank you for this one day. Uh, this one day in seven where this man has found rest from pornography. Thank you, Spirit, for working in his life. Thank you that he didn't look at pornography. Um, one day turned into three, three turned into a week, a week turned into two months, two months have now gone on six years. Um, and every time I pick up the phone, which is probably two times a week, to talk to this guy, because he and I are really deep friends, um, every time I get on the phone, he says, Pastor Joel, it's been six years, and then we stop and we thank God for that. Um, you see, uh, in that, there's a story. Uh, in that story, there's, there's something there. There's this idea of celebrating God's work, um, celebrating the gospel's work in someone's life. Uh, dads, that's what you need to do. Um, that's... Dads, that's, that, that's, what, uh, that's what God does over you. Um, he celebrates the work um, that's going on inside of you. 
And so that means for you, um, you find your kid, um, and your kid is looking at something they shouldn't be looking at. They've done something they shouldn't do. Um, restore them in a spirit of gentleness. And then walk with them and celebrate with them the work of Christ in their lives. Um, call it what it is. Call a spade a spade. Um, call it what it is. It's the work of Christ in your kids' lives. You see, that's how, that's how practically as dads, um, dads, I hate to break it to you, we can't just be moms with bigger muscles. That's not what we're called to do. Um, it's not like mom does her thing until she's driven crazy, <laughs> and then it's like calling the dad squad to come in and squish the kid. Um, that's, not, that's not, dad, that's not your role in the family. Um, you're not mom with bigger muscles. What you are is you're there to be a representative of Christ to your kid. That's your job. Um, that's your calling as a dad. And in doing that, you call them to holiness, yes. You restore them with gentleness all the time because discipline is always restorative. That's always the goal of discipline. It's always done out of love and is always restorative. It's not done out of anger. Um, God's discipline is never done out of anger. If you th don't believe that, read the book of Hebrews. God's love is never done out of anger. It's always done out of love. So you lovingly restore your child, lovingly discipline your child. And when you discipline your child, um, you're looking to bring them back into the forgiveness. You're looking to bring them back and remind them of the good work of Christ for them. So dads, that's the words for you. That's, uh, that's our presentation for this time. Um, that's our presentation for this weekend. Uh, we do. We are going to have a Q&A section coming up in the next hour. So uh, let me encourage you guys to write down your questions. Please do, or else this is going to be a boring next hour. Um, <laughs> so write down your questions, please. Uh, take a break. We'll take, I think, like 10 minutes. 15. 15 minutes. And uh, go take a break.